God is good? And all the time? Glad that you chose to worship with us today. My name is John, and I am blessed and humbled to be the pastor here. And just want to welcome you uh, this morning. And I'm going to uh, give you some time to find the two passages of Scripture that are going to be in this morning, all right? So the first one is going to be Ezra, all right? So take some time to find Ezra. It's after Chronicles, before Nehemiah. And then also you want to find um, Haggai. All right, so Haggai is actually a book in the Bible, okay? It's almost to the New Testament in the Old Testament, right? So Ezra, and then try to find Haggai. We're going to get there in a moment. Uh, we are in, our week, uh, in week three of this series, Leftovers. And as we think about this, the kind of the, the phrase I want you to think through is, does God get the best of me or the rest of me? And we're really in three areas of our life. Does God get the best of my time, my talents, and my treasure. And I want to just take a moment to kind of brag on you as a church because many of you, uh, you've figured this out a long time ago, and uh, we, you know, we all kind of struggle here and there, but you've done a great job of giving God the best of your time and your talent and your treasure. And because of your generosity and even your continued generosity through all of this uh, COVID-19 that we have, uh, as I mentioned last week, we've had three different events where we have given gift cards to people in our community. And uh, so we had, before yesterday, given over 150 $50 gift cards to people in our community just to bless them during this difficult time. And that's because of your generosity. Because many of you have for many years given God your best, your first, and you have done it faithfully. And so I want to say uh, thank you to that. But n- last night, uh, we, we tried something different. And uh, we just went into our neighborhood. Several of us met up here. We, we just kind of walked our community. We did a little prayer walk. And with us, we had gift bags. And so as we found people either mowing their lawn or whatever they were doing, working on their car, we, we just stopped and talked to them if they wanted to talk with us. Uh, and we received everyone we talked to was so nice and so uh, gracious. And so when we had a conversation with them, we just blessed them with a gift bag, and in the gift bag was a $50 Walmart card. And so in about 30 minutes of a prayer walk through our community, we gave out $2,500 last night. And so, uh, yeah, you can celebrate that. That's worth celebrating. Uh, and the reason that we are able to do that, again, is because many of you have figured out a long time ago it's, it's uh, the right thing to do to give God your first and your best. Um, and also, this morning I woke up, and again, this points to your generosity and, and my way of just saying thank you, but, and maybe giving some reasons of why we give, those of us who do. I received an email this morning from a friend of mine, uh, Pastor Seahawk from Cambodia, and many of you got to meet him. He was here right before COVID hit, was planning on being around a little longer, and then he had to get back to Cambodia quickly. Um, but he sent me an email this morning with this picture. Uh, this picture of the lady in the middle here is 98 years old. And her entire life, most of her life, was uh, she was a Buddhist. This past week, uh, Seahawk, and that's his wife, they went out into uh, the village she lives in outside of Phnom Penh, and they gave her the gospel. What we just sang about, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And this 98-year-old lifelong Buddhist, gave her life to Jesus Christ this week. Isn't that awesome? I think we can celebrate that. Awesome. So you, you may not be aware, but every dollar you happen to put in the offering here, 15% of that goes straight to our missions budget. And because of your generosity, this lady, 
who's 98 years old, who can't even get out of her bed, this week gave her life to Christ. That is awesome. So I just say thank you. Thank you to your generosity and your continued uh, faithfulness. But as this week, we're going to talk about giving God our first. We, we've talked about giving God our family. We've talked about giving God our best. This week is giving God our first. And when we think about this first principle, when we see that in Scripture, this first principle is like uh, the first to come. And we think about in the culture of, of harvesting or in agriculture, we think about the first crops, the first fruits, and, and, and the first to come is the understanding. And so in the context of this culture, uh, what God wanted of the nation of Israel was that of the first crop of the harvest, they would give it to the Lord. The best and the first. And as we looked about last week, talking about Cain and Abel, that Abel gave not only first, but he gave the best. And we understood last week that in order to give God our best and to give God our first, it's going to take faith. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And we think about this idea of giving God our best and our first. This, I guess, underlying presupposition that we have in this series is um, that we believe God is the owner of all things, we are the manager. That God gives us, even as we just sing about, the breath in our lungs to breathe. And, and so when we think about my family, God gave me two children, and he wanted me to manage them for his glory. And how I raise them says a lot about who I think God is. When I think about my time and how I spend my time that God has given me, how I spend my time says a lot about how I value God. How I, how I give God my talents uh, to serve in the work of the Lord says a lot about what I believe about God. And again, what I do with my money, my treasure, says a lot about what I believe about God. And as we think about this giving God our best and our first, and the understanding that God's the owner, I'm a manager, I want just to read uh, two verses. Uh, Psalms 24, verse 1. And Psalms 24, it's here on the screen. I'm going to invite you to read this with me, all right? So here we go. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. This verse says a lot. The earth belongs to the Lord. He is the creator. Everything in it, its fullness, all of creation belongs to God. And then he goes a little step farther to say, and all who dwell therein. God's the owner. I'm the manager. God has given me my life my time, my talent, and my treasure to use for his glory. First Chronicles 29, 11 through 12, we read out loud this week, but I, I want to read it for you this week. This is one of my favorite passages of scripture, and I'm going to have to read it because I memorized it a long time ago, and I don't, I don't remember it just like this, so bear with me. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Say the next word with me. Everything. Say it with me again. Everything. Say it again. Every. What does everything mean? You guys are so smart. Everything in the heavens and earth is yours. Oh, Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who rules over all things. Look at verse number 12. Wealth and honor come from you alone. It's a great statement. Everything I have, I possess, I quote-unquote own, came from not how good I am, but how good God is. It was him. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over, what's the word there? Everything. What does everything mean? You guys are still so smart. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion, people are made great and given 
strength. So when we think about giving God our best and our time, our talent, and our treasure, giving God our first, um, hopefully as you walked in this morning, you grabbed one of these cards, all right? It has the logo on there, leftovers, and, and I, we've been telling you about it. I've been warning you about it, that next week we're going to invite you to turn this back in. And so I want you to spend some time this week praying about it. Which, which is God challenging me to do for the next 90 days? Is God wanting me to, to take the first step of faith and say, I'm going to give a percentage on purpose? Maybe it's 3%. Whatever God puts in your heart, I'm going to start putting God first. I'm going to start giving God my best. Maybe it's to start tithing. I'm going to give 10%. And I know that sounds like a lot to some people. Some of you have been giving 10% for years, and maybe God just says for 90 days, you could give a little more. Some of you, God may challenge you to give, and I'm only telling you this because one of you, a member of this church, came to me last year and said, you need to put on this card a double tithe, 20%. So it's y'all's fault, all right, one of you out there. Uh, Maybe God is going to challenge you for 90 days. I'm going to give 20%. I want to give God my best. I want to give God my first. All right, so when we think about the first principle, our main text we're going to talk this morning is in Haggai, but hopefully you've got your spot in Ezra already, all right? So Ezra is going to give us the context by which we're going to talk about in Haggai, all right? So in Ezra, uh, we see here kind of the timeline of what took place in 600 B.C. In 600 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar invaded Judah. And in around 586 BC, he finally conquered uh, Jerusalem and all of Judah. And, and so as he conquered them, this is when we start reading about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is kind of the timeline. And they brought those Jewish boys into captivity, all right? Now in 538, Cyrus was now the ruler. And Cyrus, uh, through God, divine appointment, God sent through Cyrus 50,000 Jews back to Jerusalem in 538. BC. Around 536 BC, those 50,000 Jews, on the order of God, started to rebuild the temple. God had sent them back. He ordered them to, to build the temple. Remember the temple we talked about a few years ago? Another word is tabernacle, which simply means the dwelling place of God, the place where God would dwell. And so God says, I want you to build my house. So after years and years of captivity, 50,000 Jews go back. They begin building the temple, and let's see what takes place. Verse number four of Ezra chapter number four. Then the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building. They hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And and before we read the next verse, I want us to think for a moment, a principle I think is pretty obvious in this text that when you begin to take a step of faith, maybe it's taking this 90-day challenge, whatever the challenge, whatever the step God is asking you to take. Almost always in Scripture, you're going to see when someone takes a step of faith that there's going to be opposition. And so they, they have been exiled. They've been brought back. It tells us in Ezra chapter 3 and verse number 7 that God even gave them the wood in order to build the temple. Uh, I want you to remember that, all right? Ezra 3, 7, God gives them the wood to build the temple. And here they start building the temple, and everyone's complaining. I know that never happens in any church, but that's happened here in the nation of Israel. But look how they're going to respond. And I want you to think as we see how the nation of Israel respond to opposition, how you are going to respond to opposition. When you take a step of faith, there's going to be opposition. How are you going to respond to it? Verse number 24. 
of chapter 4. Thus the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, ceased. It discontinued until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Persecution, opposition to the exact command God had given them, they stopped. They stopped building the temple. That's where we pick up in Haggai, all right? So hopefully you've held your spot in Haggai, and I'll give you a little more on the timeline here. So between Ezra, what we just read, they stopped building the temple in 536 B.C. Here we are in Haggai, and the timetable is about 520 B.C. So 16 years later, here the story picks back up, all right? Verse number one. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month of the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak. The high priest saying, thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, this people says, the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. So see what's taking place here. It's 16 years later. They still haven't started building the temple, which God asked them to do. And God says, the people are still saying, what does it say there? It's not time to build. It's not yet time to build. Here is how God responds in verse number three. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Question mark. What is God saying? Hold on a second. I already supplied the wood for you. I brought you out of exile 16 years ago. I asked you to build the temple, and you are saying it's not time yet. And God asked the question, hold on a second. So it's not time to build my house, but it has been time to build your house. In other words, God is saying, you're giving me the leftovers. For 16 years, and it used this word paneled houses. It's not just that they built a structure. It's that they're living in luxury that they are living in comfort, that they have everything they want, everything they need, and they've provided for themselves, and oh, God is going to be getting the leftovers. Let's keep reading. God asked the question, and then he says in verse number five, now therefore says the Lord of hosts, I love this phrase, consider your ways, consider your heart, consider what I've, the question I've just asked you, that for 16 years, you've been giving me leftovers. For 16 years, you made sure you lived in comfort. For 16 years, you've taken what's best, you've taken what's first, and you've given me the leftovers. Consider what you are doing. That seems like a good question for us this morning, doesn't it? In our own life, we've been asking this question, does God get the best of me or the rest of me? This morning, as we think about this, is, does, can we give God the first and trust him with the rest? Can we give him the first and trust him with the rest? And God would ask us this morning, consider your ways. So verse number six, you have sown much and you bring in little. You eat but do not have enough. You drink but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. That sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? Like the money just goes. But here, I think we see this kind of what I would call natural consequences of of giving God leftovers. 
Because God has created us in his image. God has created for us to live for him, not for us. And I think just a natural consequence of us giving God our leftovers is spelled out for us in verse number six. And I think we could summarize it really in two phrases. That is, if, if we live giving God the leftovers, we live to please ourselves, we live to live, make our life comfortable, what God says here in these verses is that you're never going to have enough and you're never going to be satisfied. It's, it's like the natural order of things, the natural consequences when we, when we don't put God first in our life. We understand that we're never going to find fulfillment and pleasure and satisfaction in what the world has to offer. In, in fact, King Solomon tried to do that very thing. If you read Ecclesiastes, he said, I'm, gonna, I'm setting out to do anything I want to do, to have as much fun as I want to have, to build anything I want to build. To, if I like it, I'm getting it. And he said, I'm going to see if what the world has to offer me first living, giving God the leftovers, could that bring satisfaction? Could I have enough? And, and you know what his conclusion was? Look in Ecclesiastes 2, verse 17. It'll be, it'll be on the screen for us this morning. Therefore, I have hated life because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me. For all is vanity as grasping the wind. When I live me first, and God gets the leftovers, the natural consequences of God's order is I'm never going to have enough. I'm never going to be satisfied. And, and you could continue reading, but Solomon kind of concludes uh, his study, like his experiment. I, I tried everything. It was never enough. It was vanity. It was like chasing the wind. But look what his conclusion was in uh, the end of Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. This is his summary. This is his life statement. This is what, uh, seeking God. Here's what he says. Fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. Fear God and obey God. The truth is, if we properly fear God, we will always obey God. If God is in his proper place, it always leads us to obedience. Fear God and obey God. I want you to remember that as we get back to our text. So I think there's this transition from verse 6 into verse 7. Kind of the natural consequences if we live for ourselves and we give God our leftovers. It seems to transition to not so much just natural consequences, but, but maybe supernatural or divine consequences. Remember, for 16 years, Israel was living, me first, God gets the leftovers. And there's this natural consequence of us doing that. And I think we see specifically for the nation of Israel that the consequences became more severe. Look at verse number 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, and he asked the question again, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood. Build the temple that I may take pleasure in it. Now, remember what I mentioned in Ezra chapter 3, verse 7? God had already provided the wood 16 years earlier for the temple. And now he tells them to go get more wood. Now, we don't really know where the wood went, but I have an assumption. Where do you think the wood went? To build their paneled houses. What God had set aside for his temple, for his dwelling place, it seems that they use for themselves. God gets the leftovers. So then he goes on. Let's, let's read verse 8 again. Go up to the mountains and bring wood, build the temple, that I may take pleasure in it. 
and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. It's kind of uh, reiterating what he said in verse 6. And when you brought it home, it wasn't just that it was in bags full of holes. Here you see a supernatural consequence of me first living. What did God say? I blew it away. God blew it away, says the Lord of hosts. Why? Because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Again, God is saying, I get the leftovers. I'm tired of getting your leftovers. There's going to be some supernatural consequences. I blew it away. Verse 10, therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withhold its fruit. In other words, there's a drought, but where did the drought come from? Verse number 11, for I, God, Called the drought on the land and the mountains on the grain and the new wine and the oil and whatever the ground brings forth, O men and livestock and all of the labor of your hands. God says it's beyond just the natural consequences. There's some supernatural consequences. God says to the Old Testament, to the nation of Israel, if you live in obedience, I'm going to bless you. If you live in disobedience, I'm going to curse you. There was blessing and cursing for the nation of Israel, hinging on, does God get the best of me or the rest of me? Does God get the leftovers? Now, I want to see how they responded. But before we do, I want us to understand that um, there was this covenant between God and the nation of Israel. And that covenant was kind of what I just explained for you. That if they lived for God and they lived in obedience, God would bless them. If they lived in disobedience, God would curse them. Now, we don't live under that same covenant, but I think we see the same principle in the New Testament of sowing and reaping, giving God our first, giving God our best, that God does, in fact, bless us when we bless him. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter number 9. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter number 9, and again, as we think about giving God our first, the first principle, we see this really clearly, that God is going to bless us conditionally, on how we bless him. Second Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse number 6. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Does that seem pretty clear to everybody this morning? If I give God a little, he's going to bless me a little. If I choose to give God a lot, he's going to bless me a lot. So let each one of you, verse 7, give as he purposed in his heart. I think it's the same question in verse 5 and verse 7 of Haggai. Consider your ways, which was really saying consider your heart. And here Paul says, let each one of you purpose in his heart, not grudgingly or necessity. How are you going to give? For God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. It seems very clear that even in the New Testament, when we choose to give God our first and our best, he's going to bless us. You sow a little, you reap a little. You sow a lot, you reap a lot. Now let's go back and look and see what um, the nation of Israel, how they responded. Because like we said, for 16 years, God gets the leftovers, through the prophet Haggai, they are warned, they are told, here's why you have no money. Here's why you have no crops. Here's why there's drought, because you're giving me the leftovers. So what is their response going to be? Verse number 12. 
Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, underline the word here, obeyed. They obeyed the voice of their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, and the Lord their God had sent him, and the people, the next word you might underline, feared the presence of the Lord. I believe because they actually feared the presence of the Lord, it led them to obey the voice of the Lord. Then it goes on, then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke to the, the Lord's message to the people, saying, so what has happened here? God has warned them. God is asking them to repent. They fear God. They obey God. And what is the response of God? He says, I am with you, says the Lord. When we live in fear of God, which leads us to obedience of God, we get the presence of God. Now, understand here what we're saying about presence, okay? I don't give to get the presence of God with a T. I give to give the presence of God with a C. I want to give God everything because I want God in my life. I, I, I think God is worth everything. Do you think God is worth everything? God gave everything for you. We sang about it, didn't we? God so loved the world, he gave. He gave his first, he gave his best, and he just wants us to do it in return. And so they fear God, they obey God, they receive the presence of God, and what is that going to lead them to do? Look at verse number 14. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came, and the next word you might want to underline is they worked. They worked on the house of the Lord, their God. It was on the 24th day of the sixth month of the second year of King Darius. So if you look at verse number 1 to verse number 15, 23 days between. 23 days from the time that they were confronted with their sin, they began to fear God, they began to obey God, and because of the fear and obedience, they got the presence of God, and because of the presence of God, he empowered them to do the work of God. You see this progression here? As I put God in his proper place, I fear him, it leads me to obey him. As I obey him, I receive the presence, and as I receive his presence, it leads me to work for him. So the question this morning is very simple. Will I give God my first and trust him with the rest? Will I give him my time? Will I give him my talents? Will I give him my treasure? Because I, I believe that if we're honest with ourselves, we would say God is worth it all. Do you, do you think God's worth your best, yes or no? Do you think God is worth your first, yes or no? And so we have to live that way. And, and point out here, not often when we see the nation of Israel confronted with sin do they do the right thing. But in this specific chapter, they did the right thing. They repented, they feared God, they obeyed God, they received the presence of God, which led them to work for him. I want to ask you to close your eyes for a moment this morning. as We're going to close the service in worship again this morning, but I want to give you a time this morning to respond. It's easy for us to, to look at the nation of Israel, and even this morning, which is rare, we get to celebrate the nation of Israel did the right thing. But let's internalize this this morning. 
Would God look at our lives and the way we spend our time and our talents and our treasure? And would he say, I'm tired of getting the leftovers. I'm tired of getting the rest. So the question we have to wrestle with that I'm asking you to wrestle with this morning, will you give God your first and trust him with the rest? In faith saying, God, I want to give you the the first of my time. Maybe that means I'm going to get up earlier and spend time in the presence of God. I'm going to give you my talents. Maybe that means I'm going to sign up to serve. I'm going to help in the connection team. I'm going to help in Hallmark Kids Ministry. I'm going, to, I'm going to help whatever God needs me to do. However God can use my talents, I'm going to give him first. And what about our treasure? Next week, we're going to look at that Matthew chapter 6. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I'm convinced in my life that God is worth it all. And shame on me when I don't give him the first and the best. God, I ask this morning as we just ponder this thought this morning, would you clearly reveal to us the areas of our life in which we are giving you leftovers? Would you convict us through the power of the Holy Spirit today to make changes in our life? To stop giving you leftovers and to stop giving you the rest of us, but give you the best of us. And Lord, what amazing things that you could do in and through this church if we stopped giving you leftovers. As we sing this morning, the song is simple. Lord, we do believe you're worth it all. We believe you're worth everything. And I pray it's not just words we sing this morning, but it's, it's an attitude of gratitude that we will just worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who is, the one who was, the one who is to come. It's in the powerful and precious name of Jesus that we pray.